Welcome to the Gospel in Lagos, the sermon podcast of City Church. City Church is a community of worshippers on mission. We exist to catalyze a gospel-centered movement that renews Lagos spiritually, socially, and culturally. You can find out more about us at www.citychurchlagos.com. City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos. nice to see us all really looking very comfortable in the way we are sitting. Well, I do want to apologize. Sorry that uh, apologies to a lot of the people who are, are unable to sit down. Um, we appreciate your sacrifice. I told uh, Francis and Lola um, just as the whole thing was going on. This is for anyone who is opening, planning on planting a church and you want to hold carols, it will be good as the preacher to coordinate with the drama people because I almost don't have any sermon to preach again. You know, they've done such a fantastic job, haven't they? Can we give them a round of applause again? Yes, and then the, 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 the music team have been wonderful. And I know, I know there's still more coming. We're going to close with a bang, aren't we? All right, okay. You know, it's Christmas. It's Christmas season, the most wonderful time of the year, we like to say. And if you didn't know, Right? Maybe you're not a Christian here. I'm sure you'll have known, haven't spent time here, that one of the things we celebrate during Christmas, the main thing we celebrate is the birth, is the birth of a child. And that reminds me about just we as people. What do we do when a child is born? You know, we do many things, but, and some of them are good, but some of them are very daft. Let me tell you one daft thing we do. Don't worry, I'm also part of it. The moment the child comes out and the moment we're able to see the child, what would we start doing? After we find that boy or girl, we look, we say, this one looks like the... Oh no, this one looks like the mother. You can't see anything at that point. And you know, over a period of time, you know, the face starts forming. We start seeing who they look like here or there. But the other one that happens is with the, with the um, um, uh, behavior of the child. Once the child starts behaving in one kind, if the child behaves as a boy, if he behaves in a bad way, the mother will just say, uh, he's the son of his father. If the girl behaves in a bad way, they'll say, ah, the daughter of the mother. But when the son behaves in a good way, the father will say, that's my boy. <laughs> oh, mommy. <laughs> right? Now, this thing that we're doing is not just any kind of, it's not just a mere observation. We are assuming something profound. And what is it that we're assuming that is profound? We assume that the thing that is here in the present must resemble some things that were there in the past. We are saying that even though the child is its own unique thing, it must be sufficiently connected to the past, to the parents, for its legitimacy. Let me put it in another way. This, there are humans that produced this human. There are humans behind this human. And as it is with newborn babies and children, so it is with the Christmas story. There are stories that produced this story. There are stories that are behind this story. In other words, the Christmas story itself is a thing, but it is connected to previous stories which produced and shaped what it looks like. And we've been looking at one today, haven't we? We've seen the birth of 
um, a child in Bethlehem. Bethlehem. Just like the Christmas story is a strange birth in Bethlehem. Now, I don't want to bore you too much. Let me just go through two things that the birth of the child in Bethlehem in the book of Ruth teaches us about the Christmas story. Two things. One is that it shows us a story of restoration, but it also introduces us to a lineage of salvation. It shows us a story of what? And introduces us to a lineage of? Exactly. So let's start with the first one. Now, some of, can you bring this down a little bit? Not time, don't worry. Now, um, you know, going, where, um, one of the things I enjoyed about the early 2000s, now, if some of you don't know this, now, you know, we're all on social media, everybody is an influencer, people do their own skits. Do you know there was a time when there was nothing called reality TV? You know what we call reality TV? Some people don't know, in fact, TV is TV. But, you know, when we put real life on TV, so there was the boom of reality TV around late 99, early 2000. There was this show called The Bachelor. I'm sure none of us watched The Bachelor and dreamed that we would be bachelors, that bachelor that I had to pick from. How many? No. But one of my, the ones I loved watching was house makeover shows. Do you know house makeover shows, right? Where the houses were derelict and all of that, and somebody just wanted to gift this family a wonderful thing. And I often thought... How would, how would, why is it always done in the U.S.? What will a Niger house makeover look like? And I found one. Look at this one. This one really looks nice, doesn't it? Right? Not bad. Not bad. Restoration, somebody. But actually, me, I'm fascinated more with the restoration of a particular kind of particular material. It's called leather. Right? Recently, I had to travel, and I had these old boots that I bought like 2008. And I'm like, how oh, would I buy boots? It's not like I live abroad again. So I carried it, and I restored it. Something like this. This was not my shoe, but something like this. Look at this. Look at this. No, this is not my shoe. I, I would like to have it. But look at that, right? It's here. Or sometimes you even see restoration of sofas, like leather sofas like that. Isn't that nice? Here's what I found out. How to restore it. Well, two things must happen. One, the leather must be absorbent. Why must the leather be absorbent? Because of the second thing, you intervene with a substance called a leather recoloring balm. A leather recoloring balm. Now, the leather must be absorbent so that it can receive the balm and then the balm is massaged into the leather and somehow it brings back its old nature, but something better. That's what we call restoration. And you see, the story of the book of Ruth is really one about restoration. Restoration of a number of people. Let me tell you about three of them. The first two, we learned about them, Boaz and Ruth. Who was Boaz? Boaz was an old, unmarried guy. He had money, but no wife. I'm not saying anything about our Boaz over here. <laughs> he had money but no wife. Now, you would think, okay, money, no wife. All right, no wife, no problems. Yes, right? And that's normally true. But, um, no, uh, you know, I counsel you people now, so I know. It's not my own life. My own life is sorted. But anyway, the problem though was this was that if he had no wife, he was going to remain childless. And this was a big deal because it jeopardized the continuation of his name. 
If Boaz did not have a particularly a son to carry his name, what was going to happen? Eventually, two generations from that, nobody will know who Boaz was because they don't know who his child or his grandchild is. And so Boaz must have been really sad. And then you had Ruth. Ruth was a foreigner. A foreigner that was now living in Israel. She was a widow. She had lost her husband. Now, what does that mean? It meant that if she was living in a foreign land, I don't know how many of us have lived in foreign lands before. No matter, you know, we always say, no matter if you are abroad, uh, let's say in the West, no matter how Western you are, you always remember that you are black. And so, no matter how Israeli she was, she would always remember that she was what? A Moabite. And so she could not be fully accepted. However, if she got married to an Israelite and had an Israelite child, eventually she would be accepted. But whilst being childless, she could never be fully accepted. And one more thing, women didn't really have jobs. So she would not have economic security. There were no pensions for women. And so if she had no child, no one would take care of her in her old age. She would not going to be accepted. She was also not going to be economically secure. And so they had a problem. Somebody say, but God. God intervened. God intervened and he intervened in the most extraordinary way. What did he do in chapter 2? God connected them. Somebody say connection. It's really important. You don't know who you are sitting next to. You may be sitting next to your Boaz or your... I, I feel like I'm seeing something here for somebody. For those of you who are married, please don't hear that. There's no, we don't do that kind of thing here. You already have your Boaz and your Ruth. Okay. So he intervened in chapter 2. Ruth met Boaz. And then by chapter 3, she was willing to marry Boaz. We see that in 3 verse 10. Right? He said, the Lord bless you, my daughter. As we learned, daughter doesn't always mean daughter. This kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. You have not run after younger men, whether rich or poor. You know what that means? It meant that it was better to marry a guy that was poor and could at least have a child than a man who was rich that couldn't. She showed him kindness because she was willing to marry. So that when we start the verse that was the beginning verse that... Um, that was read to us, says, so Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. Ruth elevated Boaz. But you see, Ruth herself enjoyed an elevation through this marriage. Remember I said Ruth was a foreigner. We meet that in 2 verse 10. She's a foreigner. But Ruth went through different stages of promotion. God was promoting her. In 2 verse 10, she was called a foreigner. By 2.13, she was called a low servant. By 3 verse 9, she was now the maid servant. And by 4 verse 13, she had now become a wife. From foreigner to low servant, from low servant to maid servant, from maid servant to become a wife. I know some of you feminists are already thinking, is being wife a promotion? Uh, just hold your thing there today. In, in that time, it was a promotion. So now at this point, there is hope. There is hope. But let me tell you, the hope for two of them, now they've gotten married, that hope was very slim. You know why it was very slim? The hope of having a child. You know why? Because not just that Boaz, remember Boaz was old. That's why he could call her my daughter. So 
Those are the chances of an old man having a child. But this was even made worse by this. Ruth had been married before. In fact, commentators tell us that she was married for 10 years. And 10 years without what? A child. In other words, Ruth was barren. What are the chances that a very old man and a barren woman were able to have a child but God? He intervened again as that coloring, recoloring, restoring balm. That's why in that verse 13b, he didn't just say that when he made love to her, she conceived. You know what he said? When he made love to her, the Lord caused her to conceive. God is a God of restoration. But if Ruth and Boaz's own story was a story of restoration, there was one more person. That person's story of restoration was at the highest level. Her name was Naomi. Naomi was, well, you know when you see leather that is, it should be thrown away. Naomi was jaded, jaded leather. It was so bad that, you see, Naomi and her husband, they jackpot without the direction of the Lord. God is delivering somebody here today. When she returned to Bethlehem after she jackpot, now when she was leaving, she left with a husband and two sons. So the family was four. By the time they got to Moab, the family had increased by 50%. There were six, and she was expecting it to grow and grow. But then, tragedy hit. The family went from six to five. She lost her husband. It went from five to three. She lost her two sons. And by the time she was returning, she thought she would return with two of them until Opa said, hey, mom, I love you, but I got to go. So she left four, got to six, and came back with two. She had become so sad. Life had beaten down her in, in such a way that people saw her and said, Ah, ah, Iranian. Could this be Naomi? You know, when tragedy has hit you, that is not just mental, it now becomes physical. It had changed her. And she said, No, it is not Naomi. Don't call me Naomi. Why? Because life has happened to me. The Almighty has made my life bitter. Call me Mara Bitter. That was the state of Naomi. People, the women of the town, the women of the town could barely recognize her. But Naomi experienced a restoration. You know how we know? It was, remember the women that came, they said, could this be Naomi? That was in chapter 1. By the time you get to chapter 4, these same women started to say something. You know how some people will say, hey, you, useless, well, you can never be anything. <laughs> Next thing they see you, they say, hey, I always knew something will happen. They are coming to reap where they did not. But it's better put, to be the one that they are talking about, not the one that is talking about people, Amen. And so, these same women changed their tone. The same women that said, could this be Naomi in verse 17? And I think verse 17 is the culmination of the entire book of Ruth with this statement. Naomi has a son. Hey, Naomi has a son. Now, some people are thinking, ah, did she give birth? No, she had a son through Ruth. We get to that. But essentially, we're saying everything in this whole book changed on the fact that she had a son. 
How can I ask for those of us who have witnessed childbearing or for those of us who have had children, how is it that a birth changes everything? Many times people wonder, why is it that people cry at the birth of their first children? Why is it that people look at the wonder of childbirth and say, something miraculous here has happened? Let me tell you, the birth of a child changes everything. There was a writer, Eugene Peterson, who was also a former pastor. He said this, he said that every birth is a wonder. Turn to your neighbor and say, every birth is a wonder. Let me tell you why, if I may give you some things here. When a child is born, listen to this, emptiness is replaced with shape. Stillness is replaced with movement. Silence is replaced with melodious noise. Potential with possibility. Solitude with family. Selfishness with responsibility. Despair with hope. Bitterness with sweetness. An old story with a new beginning. A child changes what? Everything. And so Naomi had this son through Ruth. She didn't need her two sons. Why? Because this foreigner was better to her than seven sons. This son that she was going to have, we see in verse 14, was going to renew her, give her new life, but also sustain her in her old age. In other words, he was now going to provide Naomi with dignity and economic security. Can I speak to someone here or some people? Maybe you've come in here, you've had a tough year. Or maybe you've had a a tough couple of years. And let me be honest with you. God, for his own purposes, can decide to empty us of many things we hold dear. It hurts. It's painful. But that God often has, sometimes, a clear reason for doing it. But oftentimes, the reason why God does these things is a mystery. It's a mystery. But I don't want you to give up on the mystery. Listen to me. The mystery many times is an invitation into discovery. It's an invitation into discovering something about God. Never forget this, that the God who empties is the God who fills. The God who makes bitter is the God who often makes sweet. The God who allows for degradation is the God who brings about restoration. And so if you are that kind of person, I almost want to, I feel like I should pray for you now. Just with Psalm 126, that this God is a God of restoration. Listen to what it says. It says, when the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who what? Dreamed. Our mouths were filled with laughter. And our tongues with songs of joy. Then it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. Verse 3, the Lord has done great things for us and we are filled with joy. We are coming to the end of the year and somebody feels that their situation has remained the same. Can I pray for you and say that the God who restores will restore you. I pray that God will do something for you. It will be like a recoloring balm that God will make you new even before the end of this year. Do it for us, Lord. God is a God of restoration, and this story shows us. Because Naomi was restored, Boaz was restored, Ruth was restored. Listen, the Christmas story is a story of restoration because the story behind it is a story of restoration. And I want to say this, you too can experience your story of restoration when you embrace 
the salvation, the Christmas story offers. That brings me to the second thing. A lineage of salvation. Now, I've spoken about this, but I think this is a good place to put it. We have a problem today in Nigeria, particularly in Lagos. It's the size of our families. Size of our families. They are too small. Let's be honest. Too small. People don't want to have babies again. Why? And you know the thing about the size of a family? The larger a family at this stage, the next stage, they will have a lot of more cousins. The more siblings you have, the more cousins that will have at the next level. So take, you know, um, bad corporates. My children today have five cousins, first cousins, just five. And nothing to do with me. Has everything to do with my siblings. My two sisters, one has two children. The other one has two children. Then my, my brother-in-law, one child, five. But don't worry, my sister-in-law is going to solve everything. She's going to have eight children. I've spoken to her in the name of Jesus. Where is she? Take it. She's trying to dodge. Where are you? Take it there. Eight children is coming. And some of you are like that. You are giving your, your children four cousins. Three cousins. They are not happy. <laughs> Do you know how many cousins I have? First cousins. My, elder, my younger sister counted, so I know this for a fact. Do you know how many first cousins? Children, how many first cousins do you think I have? Uh, 32? Eh? 50? 40? Okay, okay. You all tried. You all tried. Any adults? Any adults that want to beat the children? How many? 50? Ah, uh, 50. Really? Okay, let me tell you how many first cousins I have. My other sister, my younger sister counted, she counted 93. Even me too, he, I almost, he choked. My grandparents were busy. You see, they said we had a population boom in Nigeria. We were part of the Oshunuis. Please clap for us. Thank you very much. Thank you, thank you, thank you. So if you wanted to show the connection between me and my siblings and connection to my grandfathers, what you need to do is that you draw something, we call it a family tree. We draw the family tree for the 93. And so you see the connection between me, all my cousins, and all my grandfathers. That's a pictorial view of our family connection. However, there's another pictorial view or a, a, a picture that we use to show certain aspects of a family. It's slimmer than a family tree, but it's slimmer with a purpose. Let me give you an illustration with another person's family tree. There's a lady, she's called Mama Charlie. So Mama Charlie just, she died recently, right? Can you put Mama Charlie's um, uh, family tree up? Oh, we can't see it. How, uh, she was otherwise known as Queen Elizabeth, all right? Uh, she had a son. His name was Charlie. Do you understand? Now, this is Queen Elizabeth's family tree. If you look here, you have her son, Charles. You have her first child, Margaret, uh, sorry, uh, Princess Anne. You have, um, what's that guy's name? That one that was always entering into trouble. Andrew. And then you have Edward, right? And then, actually, Andrew has children. Edward has children. Princess Anne has children. We really don't care about them. They are really irrelevant. What do we do? We look for Charlie. And after Charlie, Charlie had two children. Right? One of them, his head is straight. The other one, the head is not straight. I'll allow you to choose which one it is. 
But we are usually very concerned with one line. We are concerned with a line in the family tree. Why? Because that's the family line for where? The crown. We can also call it the elect line. There's a family line. And so whilst we look at the tree, we identify the line for a specific purpose. All others become irrelevant. So when it tells us here in verse 18, this then is the family line of parents. It's not that you cannot see the tree of Perez, but it's going to show you a line for a specific purpose. And you can see what that purpose is. The purpose is the tenth name after Perez's line. It is going somewhere. It takes us from Perez all the way to David. And if you don't believe it, in chapter, in verse 17, it also tells us that Obed was the grandfather of David. Why? Because David was a significant person. Very important person. Famous person. Why do I say that? Because, you know, some of us, there's fame and there's fame. You understand what I mean? There is fame and there is fame. There is the fame of portable. And there's the fame of whiskey. You understand? There's fame and there's fame. There is the fame. You understand what I'm saying? There is portable, whiskey, Femi Oshunui. You understand? Uh-huh. So there's fame and there's fame. There was a prayer for Boaz in 4 verse 12. They said, let Boaz be famous in Bethlehem. It's not bad. But somebody say local government. Let him be famous in the local government. Because after that, the prayer for, Bo- for Obed was let him be famous not in Judea. In Judea. That would have been state. They said, let him be famous in Israel. That nation. There's fame and there's fame. And that prayer was answered. You know why? Because it's not that Obed did anything in particular. No. It was Obed's his connection to David who was very popular. He was the grandfather of David. And you know, when you are famous, automatically your parents become famous. And sometimes your grandparents become famous. You understand? Right? None of you knew who bon, uh, 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 Fela's uh, manager was. None of you knew who one woman that can speak French and English was. But the moment you knew Bonner Boy, you knew Mama Bonner. And then you now knew, uh, how, you understand what I'm saying? And so that was his connection. He was famous because David was famous. Why was David famous? Well, in the time of the book of Ruth, you have judges. People lived as their own kings. They did everything that they liked. And because of that, they had so much sin. The economy was bad. Inflation was rising. People were jackpying. I'm not making any connections. But because David ascended to the throne, David brought peace and prosperity. The people who didn't have money all of a sudden had money. The people who were oppressed by their enemies, all of a sudden he defeated all their enemies. Oh, they loved David. And maybe some people will have thought, why shouldn't David rule forever? Well, let me tell you, two problems with that. One, David, as good as he was, he did a lot of bad stuff. He did a lot of bad stuff. Let me tell you two things, bad things he did. David killed a man just so that he could marry his wife. Not very good. Second one was David out of pride. Even though people warned him, don't do it. He decided, he wanted to know how powerful they were, is, is, the, is, the army was. So he counted the army. And after he counted the army, that thing he was warned not to do, it cost 70,000 lives in Israel. 
David did bad stuff. But the second thing why he couldn't even rule forever was that David died. Like everybody dies. David died. But before he died, God had made him a promise. God said, you know what, David? I've chosen you. And because of you, I will make sure that your kingdom will last forever. Now, listen to this. How is David's kingdom? Don't worry about that verse. How is David's kingdom going to last forever? There are two possible ways that his kingdom can last forever. Two possible ways. Let me tell you the two possible options. One, David's descendants rule lasts forever. Two, a descendant of David rules forever. I'll say it again. Two options for David's kingdom to last forever. David's descendants rule lasts forever. That is, David has a child. That one rules. That one, when he dies, the next son rules, and they rule, and they rule, and they keep ruling forever. David's descendants, uh, David's descendants uh, rule lasts forever. That's one option. The other option is a descendant of David rules forever. Which one is it? Well, let's settle it by finishing with another family line. This time is a longer family line, but it is in Matthew, the book of Matthew chapter 1, verses 3 to 16. I'm not going to read all of them, but I want you to see this. It has three different sections. The first section we already know, right? It is literally the same thing that we saw in the book of Ruth, right? But it just starts, not at Perez, it starts with Judah. And Judah, Zerah, Tamar, uh, Perez, Hezron, and go to the, all the way to verse, six, verse, uh, verse 6a. And it says, and Jesse, the father of King David. The only difference between this and the one in Ruth is that it doesn't call David just David. It calls David what? King David. Now, the second section, this was important because the second section that goes from uh, verse 6 all the way to verse uh, 11, it tells us about the kings that come after David. There are kings that come after David. So, this king and that king and that king. But you know where the thing ends? It doesn't end with a king. How does it end? It says, and Josiah, the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of in other words, once they went into exile in Babylon, there was no king after David's line. We remember what two options. Either what? David's descendants rule lasts forever. Well, we can throw away that option. Why? Because they went into exile. So the only other option is a descendant of David that rules forever. Where can we find that descendant? Well, let's go to the third part of the line. And so we read that we go from uh, after the exile, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, Shealtiel, Zerubbabel, Elihud, Eleazar, Eleazar, Matan, Matan. All these are men. Jacob, the father of Joseph. And then we hear a woman. Her name is Mary. Her name is what? And we are told that Mary had what? A son. We are told Mary had what? This is where it gets exciting. Turn to your neighbor and say this. Naomi had a son. But Mary had a greater son. Who? Can we say it one more time? Turn to the other neighbor and say, Naomi had a son. But Mary had a greater son. Who? You see, everything that we saw about Naomi's son is there repeated in this Mary's son. It's just that Mary's son knows how to take things higher. Let me explain to you. It says this. Whereas with Naomi, listen to what happened. The Lord enabled Ruth to conceive for an old man, but God enabled Mary to conceive with no man. 
Naomi had a son whose grandson became the king of Israel. Mary had a son who himself became the king of the world. Naomi had a son who became famous throughout Israel. Mary had a son who is famous to the ends of the earth. Naomi had a son who will renew and sustain her life in old age. But Mary had a son who revives us and makes us live for an everlasting age. Naomi had a son, but Mary had a greater son. And because Mary had a greater son, something changed. No, not something. Everything changed. And what is that everything that changed? Well, after all, this is the carol service. So let me finish my illustration with something about music. Something about music. You know, in the 90s, there were three ladies that dominated the global pop charts. Three of them. Who knows? Number one, Whitney Houston. I don't know who you boys are calling. Who, who is Carnival? Eh, Mowi. Don't know book. Second one, Mariah Carey. Third one, Rihanna Ross. Ah, seventies, my friend. What's wrong with you? The third one was a lady called Celine Dion. Yes, yeah. After they've told you. In fact, these ladies were so good they were called the vocal trinity. Their songs were wonderful. I would like to talk about each of these women. But I don't have time. So I want to want to talk about one. And you know the way I chose? It's very easy. This is Nigeria. And Nigeria, we love Canadians and Canada. So I'll focus on the Canadian. Celine Dion. You see, at the end of 1999, beginning of 2000, she was... She had released a number of albums. I can't remember whether I can't remember many albums, but she was tired, and she said she was taking a hiatus. She was taking a break. Two thousand, we didn't see her. Two thousand and one, we did not hear from her. And all of a sudden, in two thousand and two, she came back, and she came back. She released an album, and the album was the title of uh, this the lead song. And that lead song, in that lead song. She explained to us the turnaround that happened in her life that necessitated that hiatus. The song was called A New Day Has Come. And you're wondering what is it that she was trying to explain in this song? Well, the lyrics help us to get us there. She starts with it. She says, I was waiting for so long for a miracle to come. Everyone told me to be strong. Hold on. Don't shed a tear. Ah, I don't remember now. Who help me? Eh? Eh? No, it's not hush. Uh -uh. See you. It's not hush. We now get there. Then, M. Ah. Through the darkness and good times. The worldly people are on this side. <laughs> through the darkness and good times, I knew I'd make it through. But the world thought I had it all. But I was waiting for you. And he's like, ah, it's a love song. She was waiting. No, she was already married. And so he said, who was she waiting for? Who was this miracle that was going to come? And just before you think she was going to reveal it, ah, no, the chorus now comes. She now says, hush. Now, I, I see the light in the sky 
oh, it's almost blinding me. I can't believe I've been touched by an angel with love. I'm like, hey. And before you're even trying to like, ah, let the rain come down and wash away my tears. Let it fill my soul. Let it drown my fears. Let it shut out the world for a new sun. A new day has come. You're wondering, how does the pastor know all of this? There was an old that became the new. You understand, right? Old things are passed away. They've just not passed that much. So you're like, who is she waxing lyrical about? Who is this man? Who is this person? Who is that? And then, as you are thinking about it, she now starts, where there was darkness, now there is light. Where there was pain, now there is joy. Where there was weakness, I found my strength. Who are you talking about? All in the eyes of a boy. A boy? A boy? But you have to understand, Celine Dion also had a miraculous baby. She was in her 30s, her early 30s, but her husband was 26 years older than her. Her husband also was nearly dead. Can anything come out of him? He was very wealthy, he was, but he was very old. And they didn't know whether they could have a child. And they tried for years and years and years. And eventually her miracle, as it were, had come from above. And that is why she was saying, a new day has come for me and my family all in the eyes of a boy when she looked at her the child she said a new day has come and it's true it came but you know the funny thing is this it was limited because ultimately in the house of Celine Dion the husband died in 2016 sadly she herself has a neurological disorder now she too will die one day and that child that miraculous child will also die one day listen to me no matter what it is no matter what the restoration no matter what thing you have received here today or you have received in this life no matter what it is eventually if you say it is a new day the newness will become old and the day will give over tonight Whatever boy you are looking at, that boy will only bring, or that girl will only bring a temporary relief, a temporary joy. That is what happened with her when she looked in the eyes of her boy. But can I tell you, when Mary looked into the eyes of her own boy, she saw something else. You see, when Mary looked into the eyes of her boy, the old became new, and the new did not go away. The night gave way for the day and the night never returns again. In the eyes of Mary's boy, we've seen the light that leads to eternal life. We've seen the fire that leads to immeasurable power. We've seen the love that leads to unquenchable joy. Who is this Mary's boy? I'll tell you this, Celine Dion was wrong. He's not an angel. He is the Messiah. His name is not Obed. His name is Emmanuel. He is not just the son of Mary. He is the son of the living. God and I pray if you've never known him I pray that you will not just be understand the story behind the story that you will not just marvel at the Christmas story but that if you truly believe in Jesus Christ 
both now and forevermore you will experience the story after the Christmas story your new story the Lord bless you For listening to the gospel in Lagos. We pray you've been blessed by this message. To learn more about City Church, visit www.citychurchlagos.com. City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos.